Welcome in to the Lions College Football Podcast. My name is Stephen Andrews, joined each and every week by Brett Gibbons, our college football writer. It is week two. We are making some adjustments. We are trying not to completely overreact to what happened in week one. But on this show, we are going to look at a huge slate of games and how we may be betting them. The biggest games of the week. We got a Friday night matchup to break down for you. As always, make sure you hit that subscribe button, hit that like button, let us know in the comments who you are betting on in college football week two. And also be sure to check out our free $10,000 prize pool with our NFL Pick'em Contest. The details are down in the description if you're watching us on YouTube. Top three places are going to take home four-figure paydays in straight cash quarterly prizes of $500. All you got to do is pick five teams against the spread each and every week. You'll also find a college football pick'em contest every week at play.thelines.com as well. Brett, great to have you back, man. How did week one treat you? What were some of your biggest takeaways? Yeah, well, you hit the nail on the head that this this week is all about not overreacting to week one. And I think I was guilty to overreacting to week zero sometimes in week one, but just an amazing slate of games. I had to go back and rewatch a bunch of them since I was at a few of them that had uh, some of their some of their own exciting endings in their own right. But I'm looking forward to week two. Not quite the same marquee blockbuster names that we got in week one, but there's a ton of interesting matchups uh, that hopefully we can take advantage of. Maybe take advantage of the market overreacting to week one. For sure. Let's get right into it, man. We have a a couple of games on Friday night. We are going to hit on the Louisville at UCF game, and not just because I'm a Syracuse alum and enjoyed watching Syracuse just beat down Louisville. Uh, I actually live in Louisville. The the sky is falling here. They already want Satterfield gone on the talk radio stations. It has not been a friendly week on the airwaves in Louisville sports around town here, and now they have to go to UCF. It is a 7.30 p.m. kickoff on ESPN2. This spread is sitting at 6, 6.5 in favor of UCF. I think it was 6.5. A couple spots has come down to 6, over under of 61.5. This is your big test for this week, man. Are we overreacting to Louisville playing that poorly in Syracuse, or do we think this team is just you know maybe as bad as they were last year when they only really beat bad teams? Yeah, I mean, the sky's falling for Scott Satterfield, and probably rightfully so. I mean, we knew coming into this year that if Louisville didn't take a big step forward or at least win seven games, six games maybe, that he's probably out of here. And walking into Syracuse, and now Syracuse has a very good defense. Their defensive coordinator is really good. He comes over from uh, San Diego State, I believe. But they couldn't do anything. Malik Cunningham threw two picks. No interceptions. He was largely ineffective. Um you know, I, I just watched it, it's It's hard to take any specific numbers away from that Louisville-Syracuse game because Syracuse just shut them down. Louisville couldn't do a thing. So I don't know if overreacting is the right word. Potentially the preseason ratings for Louisville were an overreaction or an overestimation of what they can do because they looked bad. Now, UCF does not have the same defense as Syracuse. And Syracuse, a lot of their success came from scheme. Right, came from uh, the the type of defense that they run. It's like a th- it's a three three five, but not quite the same uh, as your typical three three five. But last week, so UCF played 
an FCS team. It's hard to take a lot away from that, you know, especially if you roll like you're supposed to. Seven different guys caught a pass for UCF last week, and they didn't throw the football in garbage time. John Reese Plumley was the only one that threw the ball uh, all game. I think the backup attempted one pass, didn't complete it. So seven guys caught a pass for UCF. Being able to spread the ball out like that against Louisville is going to be, I think, a really big advantage. Now, you said they're a six-point favorite. They were six and a half points, like 45 seconds before we started hitting record, and I refreshed the page, and it came down to six. Mm -hmm. So someone's maybe thinking that we are overreacting a little bit on Louisville. UCF's a good football team. Bill Conley has them 27th in the SP Plus this week in the nation. Uh, You know, John Reese Plumlee, I think he's really good. He comes over from Ole Miss, uh, two-sport athlete, very good athlete, can run the ball like a like crazy, but he also attempted 36 passes last week. So they're willing to throw with him. I don't know. I, I need to see more out of Louisville. Um, I'm tempted to bite because it's under a touchdown, especially with UCF at home. The bounce house is a very difficult place to play. UCF is not a stranger to hosting power five schools in Orlando. You know, it has an over under of 61 and a half, which is interesting just because those late night Friday games tend to just kind of go on forever and teams just never stop scoring points. So I'm watching the 61 and a half, maybe betting the over and seriously considering betting six points on UCF. Yeah, I would lean the over here as well. These two teams played last year with a total of 67 and a half final scores, 42, 35. And one of the wildest endings to a college football game we saw last season, if you recall, UCF was driving to potentially kick a game winning field goal at the very least score tied 35, 35. And then in the final seconds, Louisville gets an interception and returns it for a touchdown, wins the game 42-35. So, I mean, that was a game where Louisville went from, like, bottomed-out win percentage to at the last second winning that game as a seven-point home underdog in that game. Now we're at UCF a year later, and we're getting a a smaller spread than what we saw a year ago in in basically what was, um, you know, turned out to be kind of a coin flip game until the final uh, seconds there where really anything could happen. So um, the spread is less than what we saw last year, but Louisville played UCF pretty tough. These are two teams that know each other pretty well. So I, I don't have a strong opinion on the spread. Uh, I don't want to overreact to Louisville playing that poorly against Syracuse last week. It's never good when you uh, are giving up more than five yards of carry on the ground defensively and more than nine yards per attempt. That's awful, but they also turn the ball over three times on offense, so I think there could be some positive regression here for the offense against UCF. So I would, if I'm going to play this, I'm probably going to play the over, considering how many points we saw in these two teams playing last year, and maybe take the discount there after how bad we saw Louisville play last week offensively. Hopefully they straighten out their, their turnover issues from week one. Surely, and I worry about, you know, Last year, I, I believe that was a game Dylan Gabriel got hurt. I think I think he played in that game, and he broke his collarbone in that Louisville game uh, early on. Well, Dylan Gabriel's a small quarterback who airs the ball out. John Reeve Pumley is a big dude who is physical. He's a physical runner, and we saw Louisville struggle with that, particularly on defense, uh, you know, handling physical runners. So it'll be interesting. I may even consider looking to see if John Reeves Pumley has a rushing prop this week. It's hit or miss, again, depending on what state you're in, depending on what game it is. I'm going to be looking for that, even if it's on, you know, a pick em platform, uh, just to see what, what I can get with John Reese Plumley's rushing total. 
Let's move on to the biggest game on the slate on Saturday. It is number one Alabama going on the road at Texas. This game at noon Eastern time on Saturday. This game opened with Alabama as a 17-point favorite. It has ballooned up to 20, 20 and a half in some spots, with a total of 65, 65 and a half. Uh, depending on where you shop, there is one spot, BetMGM, where you can get a 64 and a half. Your thoughts on this big big matchup in week two? Well, according to ESPN uh, and their knowledge of point spreads, it's going to balloon to 30 points. It's not going to balloon to 30 points. There, there's no way. Um, <laughs> Some analysts say that or whatever. Yeah. They, yeah. We're, <laughs> don't have time we'll to get into that. that. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I, I mean, Alabama's growing as a favorite because – they are so much better than Texas in, in every facet of the game. If you want to say that, okay, will they be John Robinson? Alabama is Jameer Gibbs. You know, pick and choose who you think is better. So Texas is starting two freshmen on the offensive line. Uh, mm-hmm. Kelvin Banks, who is actually a very highly touted recruit, five-star guy, top 10, just signed this past class. Very good. He's a freshman starting a left tackle. This man's going to line up across from Will Anderson. He's going to line up across from Dallas Turner. Good luck. I'm sorry about that. Good luck. Uh, Nick Saban was undefeated going into last season against former assistants. You know, he lost to Jimbo Fisher, kind of put that narrative to bed, and then lost to Kirby Smart eventually in the national championship game. 26-2 and against former assistants. Pretty good. Steve Sarkeesian, former assistant. So he's already kind of got the his guys figured out, and understandably so. Now, Bryce Young, he threw five touchdowns on 18 completions against Utah State. Utah State has not been playing very well this year, but five touchdowns on 18 completions is like something you do in the NCAA video game. You don't do that in real life football. So we know that their offense is going to be firing on all cylinders. Can Texas match their big playability? Maybe. They have the guys. You know, Xavier Worthy still in. Not having Isaiah Nayer is really tough, having that kind of second vertical threat. Uh, And Jaheel Billingsley is serving a six-game suspension that I didn't know was coming, uh, that a lot of people I don't think knew was coming. But it's not something that happened at Texas. It's residual. Um, But he's not playing either. Texas defense is just, it's not great. You know, they played uh, Louisiana Monroe last week. It's hard to take away from that. But this is a similar Texas defense unit to last year that was very bad. The offensive line, starting two freshmen, I don't really need to say a whole lot about about Alabama. We know what Alabama is. I think that this could be a total blowout. I think Alabama can walk in there from the start and just knock their socks off. I mean, Saban's going to want to go in there and make a statement from the opening drive. And he wants to take that crowd out of it. Because we've seen 2019 LSU, uh, 2019 when they hosted LSU, that DKR can be very... Very disruptive, very rowdy. It's a very fun place to play football. And Saban's going to want to take that from them immediately because that's all Texas has in this game. I worry about the offense line. I worry about their defense. Yeah, I hear you on that. And clearly the market agrees with you with a three-point move already, maybe more heading towards 21, it appears. We'll see where the stopping point is on this line. Next up, let's talk about another big rivalry game in week two. It is an annual tradition in the state of Iowa, the Cy-Hawk game between the Iowa State Cyclones and the Iowa Hawkeyes. This game kicking off 4 p.m. Eastern time as we record this on Wednesday. 
Iowa is a three and a half point home favorite. Total consensus around 40 and a half. If you look back at the series history between these teams, last year, 44 total points. Year before, 35 total points. 2018, 16 total points. Had a wild overtime game with 80-something points in 2017, but 45 points the year before that, 48 points the year before that, 2014, 37 points. So it's not just automatic that these two teams are going to play a low-scoring game with a low total here of 40 and a half. So uh, don't just look back at series history and assume that, but Brett, tell us a little bit about what you found. I know you deep-dived into this matchup for this week for your preview post at thelines.com. What did you find about the 2022 rendition of the Cyhawk game? Yeah, I love this game. I think it's great. Um, I think there's going to be a ton of overreaction to Iowa's whatever that was last week where they had two safeties and a field goal. They ran one total red zone play, which resulted in a fumble to South Dakota State. I mean, just downright embarrassing. Um, I was one of the last six iterations of this game, and that means something, especially in a rivalry. Uh, but they're trotting Spencer Petras out there. They're still trying to figure out what they want to do in their backfield since Tyler Goodson went to the NFL. Uh, a few notes on Spencer Petras. A 1.1 QBR. That is the lowest ever since they started recording QBR, I believe, after 2010. 4.4 yards per attempt against an FCS defense, a very, very good FCS team, but against an FCS defense, one wide receiver caught a football. They threw it to the tight ends. They threw it to the running backs. We saw how that went. It was abysmal, but I expect that to be an outlier. I can't imagine that they're going to come back in and repeat a historically bad performance, especially against Iowa state where they may be looking ahead to Iowa state last week. Who's to say, I don't know, possibly though. Uh, Iowa State runs out Hunter Decker. He's following uh, Br- uh, Brock Purdy, who played in Ames for, geez, ever since I can remember. Um, he's a lefty quarterback, just kind of a fun fact. Uh, and then they have All American Xavier Hutchinson out wide, who caught eight balls for 128 yards and three touchdowns last week uh, against Southeast Missouri State. Again, hard to take something away from that game, but you know, you see this offense kind of clicking. They're in a rhythm. Iowa State is not in a rhythm. So I'm worried about that. But I'm also worried about the flux of public money that's going to come in on Iowa State because they see Iowa. They saw what they did last week. They're like, well, this team's just horrible. Uh, We're going to Iowa State. I'm probably not on that side. I don't really know what to do with this line. I don't love that it's three and a half. If I was an Iowa State better, I would love that it's at three and a half. Because once it crosses three, you're losing a ton of value. But if you're an Iowa better... I'm not grabbing this number at minus three and a half. Maybe if it dips to minus three, but I don't believe that public money is going to move this line. Now, there are a couple of injuries of note. Uh, Iowa wide receiver Keegan Johnson, he didn't play last week. Did that contribute to their offensive woes? Probably, considering only one receiver caught a football. Iowa State starting running back uh, Cartavius, I believe it is. Cartavius Norton uh, left last week's game with an injury, uh, but his replacement, I believe it's Jarrell. Jareel, Brock, uh, carried the ball 16 times for 104 yards. So they have a guy that they're confident in the backfield, but rushing against the Iowa defense and rushing against Southeast Missouri State, two very different things. I love the under in this game. I don't care if it's 41. I don't care if it's 40 and a half. I don't care if it gets down to 40. I'm betting the under in this game because Iowa needs time to figure out what they're doing on offense 
and Iowa State is going up against one of the best defenses in the country. I, I got to ask you a follow-up question here because you know low total, typically that means the points are more valuable. We got Iowa State getting plus three and a half here. It is a road game. Iowa has a great home field advantage. I agree with all of that. Uh, so if we take away three points for home field advantage, we're basically saying Iowa is slightly better, maybe a half point better than Iowa State. That's what this line is, is trying to suggest. FPI has Iowa State on a neutral field five and a half points better than Iowa. Am I, am I looking too much into this? Because you, know, you combine that with, with what we saw from Iowa last week, seven to three final against an, an FCS team. Um, what am I, what am I missing here? Because on paper, this seems like a pretty clear Iowa state bet to cover. Yeah, surely. And you know, that's a really interesting point. I, I take the FBI in context. Mm -hmm. I don't love it when trying to discern rivalry games, rivalry games are tough. You see it every year with Ohio state, Michigan, you see it every year with Alabama, Auburn. It doesn't really matter who the bigger, better, badder team is, you know, Teams play scrappy. They play a lot harder in these kind of rivalry games. And I know that's kind of a flawed thing. It's not a metric. But you do have to consider that this is, you know, a game that they play every year. These teams know each other inside and out. Even with these brand new rosters, they know the coaching staffs. They know their tendencies. I'm just worried about it. Now, if you want to treat it like betting an NFL game and you want to look at the three and a half points in the context of NFL rather than college football. Because in college football, it's a razor-thin margin. But in the NFL, mm -hmm. that's a pretty standard point spread. So if you want to approach it that way, that's fine. Um, I just, I don't know. I, I don't really trust Iowa minus three and a half, even at home. Yeah, I don't know. I could see this being a, a field goal game. And even if Iowa controls the whole game, it could still end 24-21. It could still end 17-14. to Like, we could see a razor-thin margin in this game. I'm probably not betting the point spread myself. Yeah, I hear you. And I think, you know, now I'm going down narrative street here, but Iowa State has lost to Iowa six consecutive seasons. You got that entire roster who has never seen a win over Iowa. You know Iowa State's going to be up for this game. You know Iowa's confidence is a little shaken after what they put on the field last week. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to bet Iowa State plus three and a half in this one. Let's like move it. on to another fantastic, fascinating non-conference matchup here. 3.30 p.m. kickoff, Tennessee at number 17, Pittsburgh. What a wild backyard brawl it was. You were there, Brett. This game coming into uh, Saturday, what are your thoughts on this one as I uh, pull up the spread and the total for it? Yeah, you talk about a complete turnaround opposite from the Cyhawk game. This is going to be a high-flying game with a lot of points and a lot of yards. Now, if you dive into the numbers, you dive into the advanced metrics of Pittsburgh's game against West Virginia, they would suggest that Pittsburgh played a really good, sound game. I didn't see that. I was shocked to see the numbers come out from this game afterwards. Keaton Slovis in his first game, and now a lot of it was in the first half, so maybe he was getting comfortable with the system, getting comfortable in the city with the new uh, season. He took too long to throw the football. He missed bad, bad, wide open reads. And he took disastrous sacks. He wasn't sacked for four or five yards. He would try to escape the pocket, roll to his right, realize, oh crap, I'm not as fast as I think that I am, and take a 20-yard sack. In the fourth quarter, when they were down by seven trying to drive, 
He took 30 yards in sacks in two plays. That is a disaster. So I'm I'm honestly in disagreement with the numbers that came out. I think Pittsburgh played a good game. They played an inspired second half, but ultimately they got lucky. They, they got really a pick did. six. Right. That went through the hands of West Virginia's best wide receiver. So I think it was a little bit of luck there. Didn't quite love their game as, as much as numbers are. Now, Pitt did have trouble with that number one receiver, uh, Wheaton, Bryce Wheaton. Yeah, number zero. The one who actually dropped that ball for the for the pick six. So I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity for Cedric Tillman on Tennessee. Cedric Tillman, 1,100-yard uh, receiver last year. The clear-cut favorite on this team. Very athletic, all-SEC player. Um, and, you know, he's taking a very fast-paced Lane Kiffin off. Or not Lane Kiffin, he's in... Uh, he's a, he's an old Miss now. <laughs> old habits die hard. <laughs> they really do. Oh man. Uh, yeah, but they're taking a fast paced Hendon Hooker led offense uh, for Josh Heupel. There it is uh, in Tennessee with a very athletic receiver and a very good uh, run game. They they ran the ball very well against Ball State last year, and then they're going up against a Frank Signetti Jr. offense that reeks reeks of Pat Narduzzi interference. I mean. They were running eye formation. They were running that offset strong eye, like just running the ball for two, three yards on first, second down, and it was frustrating. They started to throw the ball a little bit more, and I do like the play action that they ran off those heavy sets. Oh, my goodness, but it was like watching football in 2004. It was just mind-numbing. So I think that those clashing of styles is a problem for Pitt. I don't know if they get down can they fight and claw back? Can they keep up with Tennessee's offense that's quick? That's to the line. They ran some of the uh, quickest offense last year. I think it was third in plays per game. Now, I do have some concerns about Tennessee specifically on defense. Their defensive line was rated very highly in the preseason. Phil Steele, I think, had them like 21st in the nation. But they didn't really do a good job pressuring Ball State. Ball State's not even a very good MAC team. And especially on third down. And third downs were a massive, massive problem for Tennessee last year. Like, their Achilles heel on defense. The reason that they were giving up 45 points games is because they couldn't get off the field on third down. I saw some of that in the opening game where you have to be able to get to the quarterback rushing four guys. You can't send the house just to get pressure. And they just weren't able to do that against Ball State. Now, maybe Ball State has a way better offensive line than I'm giving credit for. I don't know about that, but... That's my only concern. I think that if Tennessee gets them into a shootout, Tennessee is going to run away with this game. And that's why I actually grabbed Tennessee at minus six and a half. I'd be okay. careful at seven because of the jump in, uh, in the push rate. It's 14%, 14 cents, however you want to look at that. Point is there's a big gap in value between seven and six and a half. And I grabbed Tennessee at six and a half. That's where the consensus number is right now as we record on Wednesday, six and a half across the board. Tennessee favored over under sitting at 66 to 66 and a half for the Vols and the Panthers. Let's move on to an SEC rivalry Saturday night in the swamp. Number 20, Kentucky against number 12, Florida. Primetime matchup here. We look at the odds for this one, and we have Florida moving out to a bigger favorite from open. This one opened around four. It's now five and a half for Florida as the favorite. 
52 and a half, the over under. Do you agree with this line movement, Brett, after what we saw from a very impressive Florida team week one pulling an upset over a preseason top 10 Utah? Be careful with how we react to Florida's win. Hmm. They played excellent. Anthony Richardson was electric. He belongs in the early season Heisman uh, conversation. Florida should have lost that football game. There were multiple times for Cam Rising in Utah to get it done, and they didn't do it. They might have even actually been in the end zone on a third down controversial call that they said, nope, he was down earlier. And then it took a red zone interception actually in the end zone, Cam Rising making a really bad read for Florida to seal the win. Otherwise, Florida loses this football game. So be very careful with how we uh, read this in context. Be careful how we react to it. Um, Florida was actually a three-point favorite in a look-ahead line that was then taken down um, late in the summer. So it's interesting. I don't think too many eyes were on this game until Florida you know, beat Utah. I, I was on the record last week as saying, no, I don't think Utah is going to beat Florida. So who am I to sit here and doubt them again? They proved me wrong. Uh, Kentucky is going to be down Chris Rodriguez. Uh, he got in some trouble this offseason. He's not on the depth chart last week. He's not in the depth chart this week. Probably going to be without him for three or four games. Uh, and then they've had some injuries in camp uh, in week one to their running back room. So they're going to be really thin there. It'll be interesting to see if Kentucky can get the run game going. I know Will Levis is kind of the big name and who they kind of run their offense through. Um, that didn't work too well last week against Miami of Ohio. I wasn't impressed going back and watching it. I wasn't impressed with the points gap. And in college football, points gap matters. Style points matter. So looking at that, yes, they got the win. It was a sound win. I wasn't overly impressed. Be careful with how you react to Florida. But I'm also not going to bet against them in the swamp again this season. Yeah, for sure. And if you look at Kentucky week one, that was a, a matchup that was was pretty close at the half. It was 13 to 10 Kentucky over Miami, Ohio. They get a couple of special teams gaffes by Miami, Ohio to go and and win that game overall. Um, this is a, a team that put up 300 yards passing, but only 50 yards rushing against Miami, Ohio. So what are you going to do against Florida in this one? I think that goes back to the concerns that their head coach Mark Stoops had about the offensive line early in the season here. And now you got to go take on a Florida defensive front in the SEC on the road in prime time on Saturday night. That's a big ask for Will Levis and his protection. Um, but with that being said, the line has ballooned out here for Florida, perhaps a bit of an overreaction from a week one win. We'll see. Uh, so if you want to come back in on Kentucky on the other side, you are getting the best of the number at this point. Yeah, and it'll be a really interesting case study in how Billy Napier runs this team. Now, they looked really well coached against Utah, but how do you come off that emotional, draining, physical uh, you know, win? Can you turn it around and now host another ranked opponent that is one of the preseason favorites in the SEC East? How do you respond to a win? I want to see that. Let's move on to Baylor at BYU. Another matchup on Saturday. This one with a noon Eastern time kickoff. It is an altitude game out in Provo, Utah. BYU coming off a 50-21 to road win at USF. Baylor handled Albany no problem. I mean, it's Albany. 69-10 to was the final score there. 
if we look at the spread for this one, BYU is a three and a half point favorite. There is a four out there. Uh, 53 and a half is the over under, Brett. Yeah, I, I love watching altitude games just because there's so much emphasis put on it. Um, and to be honest, it doesn't really rare, it pretty rarely affects the athletes. Um, but this is a high level football game. I hope you're staying up late to watch this because this is a high level football game. Last year, uh, this is so this is the second of a home and home, and Baylor hosted. Oh, I'm last sorry, year. I, I had the time wrong on this. This is a this is a late night. This is an this after is a late dark night. game. Ten fifteen yes, p.m. Eastern. Yes, weirdness. Get ready for it. Uh, yeah, so Baylor uh, played at home last year, and they took care of business. They won 38-14. to 14. They rushed for 303 yards as a team on this BYU defense. BYU's defense last year was a real concern, uh, and they are one of the most improved units, supposed to be one of the most improved units coming into this year. I mean, we talked about it before. BYU returns like everybody. They return Jaron Hall, who's just an electric quarterback. They do lose uh, top running back Tyler Algier. But I'm not too terribly worried about that. You can find running backs. So Baylor loses a lot. I don't know what to make of them. I, you know, you can look back to last week and be like, yep, check the boxes. They took care of business. But like you said, that's Albany. It's hard for me to gauge how good they really are. Uh, BYU similarly played a pretty rough opponent in South Florida, but they played it on the road which is reverse altitude. We kind of talked about that with the other game, uh, which actually, by the way, did end up affecting the Utah team. You saw them hacking up on the sidelines left and right. So BYU went into South Florida. They took care of business. They beat the crap out of South Florida through rain delays and an awkward time and just all these weird things. I was actually really impressed with that win, but I'm not taking so much from it that I'm like, yeah, BYU is a world beater. I think they're going to be one of the better teams in the country this year. I could even see them being a top 15 team by year's end. I don't love that they're favored. I would have liked them a lot better as a home dog, but I can see why they're favored. I don't think I'm laying the points, even if it is moving in favor of BYU, just because it's a weird late night game. This this is just going to be interesting to watch. It, it just really is. Um, and I think BYU is, is very well equipped. It's actually a Big 12 preview because BYU is going to be joining the Big 12 here soon. Then they'll play Baylor every year. So it'd be really interesting to see how they kind of fit in that, how they handle a big physical Baylor team that's very well coached with a very good defense. I think BYU has got the tools to win this game, though. I was wondering why BYU is playing at 10 in the morning local time, and the answer is, well, they're not. <laughs> they're playing at 10 p.m. <laughs> they're playing at 8 p.m. local time. So, yeah, it should be a fun one after dark there for those that want to stay up later if you're in one of the uh, the Western time zones here. Uh, Baylor, again, rushed for 303 yards and a win against BYU a year ago. We'll see how they handle the altitude. Virginia at Illinois, late afternoon kickoff here on Saturday between the Cavs and the Fighting Illini. If you look at the spread for this one, we are sitting at Illinois, minus four and a half. Virginia and Illinois, the total at 57, 57 and a half. You can find a 56 and a half at BetMGM, so uh, some difference there depending on where you shop. Um, you did a, a big write-up on this at thelines.com, Brett. A couple of teams in, in states where we can bet legally, which is always fun. Uh, so, so what did you take away from this one? I don't understand the line, and I'm worried about that, especially since the line is moving away from the direction that I lean. I'm hmm. leaning Virginia on this. I actually have a ticket for them to win money line, but I don't like that the spread is moving away from that and toward Illinois. I don't get Maybe I'm missing something. 
because the power ratings, even on the road, are favoring Virginia by like a point and a half. I just, I don't get it. So Illinois was 107th in defensive EPA against the pass last week. That's against Indiana and Connor Bazelak, who was not good enough to make it in Missouri, so they ran him out of town to go elsewhere. I just, I, I'm missing something because Virginia brings one of the best passing offenses into this game. They have Brennan Armstrong, 4,400-yard passer last year. They have maybe the best receiving core in the ACC, one of the best in the country. Um, now, Virginia has a very, very bad run defense, and that is a problem against Illinois because Illinois is a physical team that runs up with Chase Brown, 1,000-yard uh, downhill rusher. He's been beating people up left and right even this season. That's going to be a problem for them. But I just don't see how we're favoring Illinois at home after they went and laid an egg on the road at Indiana, who's not a very good football team whatsoever. Uh, Virginia has offensive line problems, but they get the ball out so quickly and have such a talented group of receivers that I don't think Illinois, they don't really have like an overly intimidating defensive line or pass rush. So I'm not terribly worried about them taking advantage of that. And maybe it's maybe it's me just underthinking this game too much or just missing something. And you know, I'm going to come back here last week when Illinois wins by seven and be like, oh, Jeez, I should have seen that coming, but I don't understand this line, and it makes me very nervous. But I'm betting Virginia anyway. Hey, happens all the time when I bet NFL line moves against me. Sometimes I don't care, man. You know, the sharps don't hit 100% of the time. You know what I'm saying? So right. trust your trust your handicapping, trust your research. Um, and hey, conceptually, you're getting the better passing offense, which is always a great great place to start for sure. Let's move on to Houston, top 25 team at Texas Tech. This one I'm curious to see see where you land here because we talked in the preseason about early uh, preseason teams that are ranked in the bottom of the top 25. Houston gets a road matchup at Texas Tech here, 4 o'clock Eastern uh, start time. If we look at the spread for this one, we have Texas Tech as a two-and-a-half-point favorite. It has moved to three at most books, but that uh, two-and-a-half is still available at FanDuel. It is juiced as we record this on Wednesday. 64-and-a-half, 65-and-a-half is your total, depending on where you shop. So, all right, Brett. Team at the bottom of the top 25 going on the road. Are they vulnerable? So I'm so excited that I get to use this stat to a real game. And I heard it a couple years ago. uh, Chris Fleek of the Bear on College Game Day pointed out teams that are ranked from 20 to 25 that play unranked teams as an underdog. So the unranked team is the favorite. The unranked team wins outright. 80% of the time. Wow. That's scary because I really like Houston. And now the other side of this is we found last year doing a a study on teasers that favorites in games with totals over 65 last season covered 67% of the time. It's a small sample size, but it's something. There are two major, major factors that I'm absolutely not betting Houston. This is a classic trap game for Houston, I guess, if you want to call it, even though uh, they're the underdogs. I don't want to go to Lubbock and play football, <laughs> unless I'm Texas Tech. It's a tough you could, place You could to have play. just stopped the sentence that I don't want to go to Lubbock. <laughs> like, it didn't matter like what came after that. 
Like literally anything not, after that didn't matter. I will not slander Lubbock on this podcast. I think it's actually a pr- pretty nice college town, college town. Um, and this game's total is at 65. So I do worry about the fact that these favorites tend to cover in games over 65. Now, the biggest problem to this is that Texas Tech is down their starting quarterback, Tyler Shuck. So am I going to fly in the face of 80% outright? Am I going to fly in the face of covering 67% of the time in this exact situation because they're starting quarterbacks out? Who was named the starting quarterback, but it was a competition, meaning that he's not head and shoulders right. above whoever they have backing him up. And I did, the, the only Texas Tech game I've actually ever been at was uh, they hosted Kyler Murray in Oklahoma in 2018, and their starting quarterback got hurt, and they brought the backup in, and they should have beaten Oklahoma in that game. It was like a 115-point shootout. It was great. Can they do it again here against Houston and Clayton Toon and Tank Dell? I mean, on paper, Houston is the better football team. And on paper, Texas Tech being without their starting quarterback is is a real tough thing. But when you look at these metrics, you look at the historic data of what happens to teams ranked in the bottom half of the top 25 against unranked teams as an underdog, it's not good. It's not good. Houston escaped with a 37-35 win at Texas San Antonio a week ago. Again, we we look at FPI uh, with a grain of salt, but Texas Tech is rated above Houston by 2.4 points on a neutral field. That's about where the spread is right now before we even take into account home field advantage. So I'm with you here, man. I think if um, you know, I'm I think I'll just take the flat three here as, as opposed to the two and a half minus 118 at FanDuel. I don't really like laying that kind of juice. So, uh, yeah, I, I, it's a key number, but I'll take the three and, and feel pretty good about it. Let's move on to a, another. Oh, a Pac-12 after dark, baby. The, the Pac-12 who had a miserable week one after having a miserable offseason of defections out of the conference. Oh, man, the poor Pac-12. Mississippi State at Arizona, 11 p.m. Eastern time kickoff. Uh, if I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal a phrase from Scott Van Pelt the other night. If you're staying up to watch this one, you ain't going to church the next morning. So why, why do we care about this one, Brett? You know who didn't have a terrible week one in the Pac-12? The Arizona Wildcats. They went into San Diego State and beat the crap out of that team. Now, you might be like, oh, San Diego State, they should. No, San Diego State's got a good defense, and Arizona lit the scoreboard up. So um, the SP+, Plus, Bill Conley's SP+, Plus, like, loves Mississippi State. They're like a top 12 team nationally. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, sure. Uh, you know, I think Arizona looked really good in week one. And my favorite, my, my favorite non-metric metric to use when handicapping games is, do you play in a weird place? Do you play in the Carrier Dome? <laughs> do you play in Lubbock? Do you play in Tucson at night? Yeah, this game is in Tucson at night. I love it. I love Arizona on this side. And I can get up to 11.5 points with them, which is great. I am betting that. I do have a card for Arizona plus 11.5. Now, they added uh, Jacob Cowing, wide receiver from UTEP in the offseason. Uh, he hauled in eight receptions, 152 yards, and a pair of touchdowns. Uh, Jaden Delora is a quarterback that they got from Washington State who threw for 299 and four. Now, there were questions about, is he going to fit in this Arizona offense? Because he's coming from a run and shoot, and he's coming into a non-run and shoot offense. Yeah, it worked out pretty well. They did really well against a very good defense. Um, you know, 
San Diego State didn't just get bad overnight. They they return a lot of their guys, especially on defense. It's a pretty similar team to what we saw last year. I might be putting a little bit too much on that, but Arizona is one of my favorite picks this year to be an improved team. I do have a ticket on over, I think, two and a half wins. <laughs> you know, they're better than that. And, and Mississippi State's good, but like, how often do you see an SEC team go out west and play this late? Like, never. They always get the primetime games because the SEC, it's where the money is. I love that this game is being played at 11 o'clock Eastern. This is an internal uh, time clock game for Mississippi State of 10 p.m. That's when it's starting. And in a game like this where it's very two very pass-happy offenses, this game might not end until like 2 o'clock locally for Mississippi State, which I'm here for. I, I'm going to try to stay up for, but it's... You know, I might need a side bet with you on if you actually stay up for the whole game. Like I might, like I'll bet. Nah, you no chance. That you're, there's no chance you're getting through no. this game. No, because <laughs> no, because I'll be week one the next morning. <laughs> I'll be at a, I'll be at the Wisconsin game the, the during the day too. So that that's gonna be tough. But it's it's kind of tough to gauge how good Mississippi State is because of that Memphis game they played they won soundly, but it was weird. There were weather delays and it, it was it was just yeah. a bizarre game. I don't think that game ended till almost midnight as well. But I just. I love Arizona in this spot. It is a personal thing where I'm not sitting here telling the good folks listening to go run to the counter and bet Arizona, but like it's enticing for me <laughs> and and I did it and I am absolutely, I'm going to love it. If you're on the East Coast, this is a D-Gen special, and if you're betting it, you have my respect. So you Godspeed, <laughs> Godspeed to all of you betting the Pac-12 after dark here. Uh, before we wrap up here, just want to let you guys know one more time that you can find the NFL Pick'em Contest. It is a free entry, $10,000 prize pool, $3,000 the first, four-figure paydays in cash for the top three, quarterly prizes of $500 each. All you got to do is pick five teams against the spread each week in the NFL season. You can find all the details and how to sign up in the description. You can also find the best sportsbook sign-up bonus offers if you're in Kansas, they just came online. If you are in one of these states that already had it, go check our site. Go check the links in the description. There's a chance that a new sports book has opened up since last football season. You can get even more bonus offers as well. So, uh, Brett, before we close up, any final thoughts here on um, you know any other teams or games that you wanted to touch on or any, any closing thoughts heading into week two in general? Don't overreact to week one and bear down Arizona. <laughs> Oh, man. I can't wait to wake up Sunday morning and see what the hell happened in that game that I will not watch one second of uh, live <laughs> for sure. That is a Twitter special in my book there. Thanks for watching, everybody. Best of luck in week two of the college football season. <laughs>